Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Hey, well, good morning. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am I'm really excited. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Yelena Lipovetskaya, who is um, here in Santa Barbara. You said 10 years, is that right? Yes, I've been here for 10 years. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. And you, and you have an accent, and that's from because you're from Ukraine. Yes. Nice. And uh, I got to, as our listener knows, um, I get emails from people all the time Mm -hmm. who introduce me to interesting people. Okay. And uh, so when I, so listen to this listener. Uh, She's the co-founder of Cospheric here in Santa Barbara, a microtechnology company specializing in manufacturing and distributing precision microspheres for specific applications. So that got me interested. Then she's also the founder of Colorful Childhood, which is a local nonprofit. As we know, I'm really involved in nonprofits and TED and all of that. And she's uh, got her master's in science from Rochester Institute of Tech, but also you have an MA from Antioch in clinical psychology. That's so we, right. So we have lots to talk about. Yes, um, we do. Tell me what a microsphere is. So uh, a microsphere is a really small particle from uh, one microns to a thousand microns. And a micron is a thousandth of a millimeter. So uh, human hair, for reference, human hair is about 75 micron. And uh, microspheres we manufacture are anywhere from one micron to a thousand microns. So a lot smaller than the diameter of a human hair. And uh, I'm familiar with the, at UCSB, we have the California Nano Systems Mm -hmm. Institute. Does this fall under the guise of nanotechnology? It's not quite nanotechnology. Nanospheres are even smaller. So nanospheres are nanometers, which are, nanometer is a thousandth of a micron. Oh my gosh. So it's another level smaller. It's a whole order of magnitude smaller. Correct. So what are the applications of microspheres? There is infinite number of applications. So what's, the, um, what's one that my listener might be aware of? Okay, so um, let me tell you about who our typical customer is. And we, have about, we serve about 6,000 customers right now. And um, six thousand, six thousand, and they're all different and they're all unique, and every application is unique. And all these people are um, scientists and engineers and researchers from all over the world. So we serve uh, national labs, uh, national institutes, uh, research and development departments of companies, and every one of them has their own like little application, specific, very specific. An example is. Um, uh, microsp- we make these microspheres in different uh, colors, different sizes, different properties, different densities, like fluorescent, phosphorescent, magnetic. So, for example, uh, they are often used as a tracer particle. So, because they are so small, you can inject these microspheres into mice, for example, and you can trace um, cardiovascular... Uh, like blood flow and, and things like that. Right. Another application, you can put it into a fuel... Um, 
can basically can intentionally contaminate fuel in a car and see um, where you find these spheres, where they come out. So leaks and maybe things e like that. Exactly. And so you can color code because we make spheres in different colors. You color code them. So you can create, for example, you can use, um, you can introduce contamination in different uh, regions and uh, have color coded spheres based on where the contamination came from. So when, okay, so fascinating. So one of the things when you're, I think of it as you're actually making a thing, right, that you sell it, as opposed to software where I can change it overnight and right. it's different the next day. It's, so satisfying the needs of 6,000 unique customers, is it that you have to make a different microsphere for each customer or you have such a good variety that you can produce, customize, you can customize Bo easily? Both. Uh, so we have... a. Uh about 2,000 SKUs of product no on the shelf oh my gosh. that people can buy on our website. Just click a button and we ship worldwide uh, daily. And on top of that, we get constant requests for people needing something different or even more precise or constantly pushing the boundaries of what we can make. So we have custom orders and we have uh, off-the-shelf product. So um, how, okay, again, so many questions. How big is the manufacturing facility? Uh, it's a few thousand square feet. And it's here in Santa Barbara? Yes, in Goleta. It's out in Goleta. Mm -hmm. And how many people work there? We're less than 10 people. Less than 10, so you don't need a lot of people to be able to do this work. Right, the reason for that is, uh, we made, I, I know your listeners are business people mostly, so I'll go into business a little bit. We basically made a decision early on that instead of specializing in large quantity, low value product, like truckloads of low quality product for dollars per pound, we're gonna specialize in really small quantity, high value, sure. high precision product. So if you look on our website, we might sell half a gram of microspheres for $500. Uh, uh, half a gram, that doesn't seem, it seems like a very small amount. Yes, that's why we don't need a huge facility. Got so we make very small quantities, which are super high value because our customers cannot find it anywhere else. Are you the only one in the world that does this? For many of our products, we are. Wow. So some of our customers just need one microsphere for their what? project. Just <laughs> so, and they're How do to, you ship one? <laughs> in a little while. But, uh, but uh, and we didn't usually ship one, but sometimes that's what our customers want. They just want one microsphere for their project, but it needs to be a very precise microsphere with very specific quantities, and they're willing to pay for that. So take me back to um, how you invented this company. Where, where did the idea come from? Um, so it started with, um, too many things led up to it, obviously. I've been in manufacturing and powders since my first job out of college in Xerox uh, toner pilot plant. Oh, okay. Uh, well, basically toner is a powder with very, very specific properties because it needs to have certain color, it needs to melt at a certain temperature, it needs to have certain rheology. So it's a very specific powder that's very difficult, very complex manufacturing process. Is it? Yes. Wow. And, um, and then, um, I'm just thinking how to explain a very complicated process that led me to this trick. But um, 
So basically, I've been in powders uh, my, uh, most of my career and manufacturing engineering, and I'm a material scientist. Um, so two companies ago, two, two, uh, before Gospheric, I was working on uh, reflective display technology. It, uh, basically, we were calling it electronic paper. And um, the way to visualize it is, if you're familiar with the uh, candle, Kempton sure. display, sure. that's a reflective technology. So it doesn't need light as opposed to LEDs. Right. And it doesn't need power to stay on. So you can turn your display off, uh, the, the power off, and the display, the image is still there. Really? So it reflects the ambient light. And in the, the room. reason it's so easy to read is because it's reflective as opposed to uh, like LEDs, which are backlit. Right. This display works like just like paper, so light bounces off of it, and that's how you read it. So stay on uh, the this e-paper for a second. Yeah. Why hasn't that exploded? Why isn't that everywhere we look? Uh, good question. I think people are there's some challenges and limitations to it. Uh, specifically, people want full color these days, which is uh, difficult to achieve with reflective technology. Oh, got it. And um, the price point, I think the price point, uh, they were not able to hit it uh, as low as uh, um, as other dis uh, other displays. And uh, another thing is the refresh rate. It's like video. People want video, like bas basically really quick. 60 so, hertz, right. And uh, that's also difficult to achieve with reflective displays. So is are, are people still working on that? They still want to solve that problem, I'm going to guess. Right, yes. Right, because it's large. I mean, I'm really interested in thin film display and large displays and covering buildings, for instance, in this kind of technology. And I think uh, I, I've been removed from that for a few years now, but my understanding is it's the price point. They haven't been able to hit the price point to uh, do full color and a quick refresh and like video capability and have to be really cheap. So we'll get there, but it still might be five or 10 years off. Yes. Yeah. So, so okay, so we're gonna go back. You had this background in powders. Where did you, you know, one of the things as an entrepreneur, you, um, now you, you're the co-founder, so Tell me about the other partners. The other, because you're a material scientist. You're the science. You're, you're the science person. So the other, your other partner, the business person. Um, yes and no. So let let me go back for a second to where, where I, when I was talking about reflective displays and how that brought me to Gospheric. So I so the way reflective display works is there's a, a powder, some sort of particle inside it uh, that creates the image. There are black and white particles that create the image. So in the candle display, it's a pigment. It's a black and white pigment that kind of switches to positions based on electric field. Okay. In the uh, electronic paper uh, technology that I was working on a little over 10 years ago, it was um, a microsphere that was half black, half white. Oh. And it was uh, rotating in electric field, and that was, was creating the that image. That sounds complicated. It was extremely complicated, and um, which uh, so which has basically brought me where I am because I became an expert in manufacturing those microspheres, and um, and two companies later uh, I lost my job because it was two thousand eight to 
sure. stock market crash and um, and I knew I didn't want to make those microspheres because it's such a pain in the butt and I wanted <laughs> to buy it from somebody else oh. but there was nobody and I looked oh. all over the world but there was nobody who could make it so I figured if I am looking for it and not able to find it, then right. there must be other people looking for this product and not uh, be able to find it. So um, it's interesting as an entrepreneur, you you know, there's you want to solve your own problem. Exactly. And you can't solve that problem, so you have to find someone who can do it, right? And, and if they can't, then you go ahead and fill that gap in the marketplace yourself. So, yes, so that's basically to answer your question, how Cospheric uh, came to be. So tell, describe to me, paint me a picture of what the, uh, is, is it a machine? That, I'm going to guess it's a machine that makes these. Yes. How big is that machine? Um, I don't know. It's, it's not here. It should, it's a few feet by a few feet. Really? Mm -hmm. And... It's just, I, I, I'm absolutely, can I come out and get a field trip? Um, typically, we discourage visitors. But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could send me a picture. I'd love to, I'd love okay. to, it's just so fascinating uh -huh. that you have something that can make these, these particles. So, so one of the things in manufacturing that's challenging is um, the, the quality, the quality control part of that. So uh -huh. what is the yield of that machine, or is it 100% of the output you can use, or? It varies by product, and yes, there's a lot of quality control that goes into that. Right, so do you have to use an electron microscope to look at these things? Some we do, so some, uh, we typically use, uh, for most particles, we use optical microscopy, but uh, if it gets really, for really small sizes, uh, we have to use scanning electron microscope. And so, so let's go back to um, some of the areas. Are there any local customers here? Anybody oh, yeah. do anything locally? Totally. I don't want to, I can't say names of who our customers are, but we frequently get phone calls like, I'm just down the street. Can I come by and pick up a product? And we're always amazed. You're that like, there, what? There's so many local companies. And some people found us online and they had no idea we were in their backyard. It's it's always fascinating how much research is there in Santa Barbara. Is it is it mostly with research? Your customers mostly in the research market? Not necessarily like research, manufacturing, technology, engineering, all kinds of people. What give us uh, an example of? Because I'm going to guess they. So they go to the web and they can find what they want if they, and then they just buy it. And if they can't find, they call you and they've got some unique problem right. and then you get to solve it. So give, give me, give our listener an idea of one of those. And you don't, don't use a customer name, of course, but a, some application where it was just interesting. You're like, oh my gosh, we'd never thought of that. I don't know if it's interesting, but probably very basic is a spacer. Uh, if people, you know, especially in the optics industry, sometimes they need to space the optical elements very precisely. Like they need to hold a bond line of 15 micron, which is like ridiculously thin bond line, but it needs to be held precisely, not 10 micron, not 17 micron. It needs to be 15 micron. So when you say a band line, so that's a line. A bond line, like a glue oh. line. Oh. Like a, a spacing between two elements needs to be a very, very precise, let's say for an optical instrument. Okay. And you can use a microsphere, 15 micron microsphere, to hold that uh, bond so, line. So it's a spacer in between two other elements, exactly. basically, right? Yes. 
and it's a very precise uh, spacer because it's spherical. So it doesn't matter what the pos position oh, right. is. And it, for example, if it's glass, it's very durable. You can hit it. What are they made of? All kinds of materials. We have glass, we have polymer, we have ceramic, we have all kinds of things. Um, Silicon. This, is, this continues just to get more interesting. I mean, it's kind of nerdy, right? It's a nerdy interest because most people don't ever talk about these. And I think it was my um, reading the book uh, by Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash, where I first got interested in nanoparticles and this idea of really small things and uh, the precision of those things. Mm -hmm. Tell me, um, so as a spacer, you, didn't, you don't have that constraint of having to rotate that thing electronically, mm. like you said, between black and white, where I've got to mm. flip it from one side to the other. Right. That's, so that's an interesting one. So, um, and when people buy them, they typically just buy like a half, half a gram of them, so not just a, or, or one. It depends. Sometimes people need very little, and sometimes people need a lot. And uh, for us, a few kilograms is a lot. Yes. I would think so. A few kilograms is going to be billions of them, isn't it? Uh, yes, definitely. So if somebody uh, incorporates our, this product into our microsphere center product and they place an order for a few kilograms for us, it's like, oh my god, we need to schedule production, we need to set a lot of time. Does it take a long time to make them? Depends on the product. Depends on the precision that's required by the customer. Right. Some product, uh, because different uh, products have different specifications. Sometimes we can have a few micron uh, tolerance. Sometimes it needs to be very, very precise. So I last question on applications. Um, I'm working with a cosmetics company uh, with their R&D folks. And uh, I'm curious, do you work with cosmetics? It seems, because you said powder, and it made me think, oh, huh. So, because um, if you're not, I'm going to introduce you. <laughs> I am, we typically do not work with cosmetic industry intentionally, because for several reasons. Number one is our price point is too high for them, oh. because they don't want precision. They just want cheap, usually. Oh, so that's back to that volume discussion. All right, and then another reason is there's been, been this huge movement recently against uh, uh, microbeads and cosmetics. Uh, oh, how, how right. it's contaminating the oceans. And That's right. Which, That's right. Uh, which now, is cool. as, so is your so is your product caught up in that controversy, or that that your industry is caught up in that controversy? Uh, the industry is caught up in that controversy, and a lot of people don't understand that we are not really in that market, and they're um, so I got some I get some hate emails like, why are oh, you doing sure. this? And I don't even engage with those people because I don't want to go down the path of explaining that we uh, serve a whole other industry and we enable many different technologies and we enable biotechnology research and cure for cancer. And it's not all about us uh, polluting the ocean. Right. But those people seem to be really focused on uh, how our company is uh, Bad because when we create, we're manufacturing plastic microparticles. Right, and and so I, I could understand how how they might make that uh, mistake. I, I love this idea though of being able to um, have inject one of these spheres in a simulation and then watch that sphere travel and fluoresce as it travels through the body or through the brain. I know that the allosphere out at uh, UCSB is that large visualization where they were looking at um, 
mag, uh, the um, fMRI scans and saying that they can actually watch a particle travel to a specific cell. Exactly. So that's the kind of things you're talking about, exactly. right? Exactly. We have spheres that are visible in x-rays, so somebody exactly like trace where it's in oh, that cell. of course. We had um, spheres that actually I, I just couldn't believe that project, like the inquiries we get. Somebody was doing artificial insemination on goats. Right. And they were tra so they were basically uh, mixing in our particles with uh, semen or something like that and tracking where it ends up uh, in in the goat. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just wow. crazy what applications and, people come But they could, because you can make it so it shows up in x-ray, then that works. Exactly. Oh, got it. That's or for animals, if they dissect the animals afterwards, they can, and they can use fluorescent spheres and they right. can see where they are ended up. Um, so tell me, you, how long has um, Christopher been in business? Uh, nine years. Nine years. And things are going well? Yes. And so you're the only, do you have a competitor yet? Not directly. So we have many, so there are many microsphere companies in the world. Well, not many, but, but there are some. But Less the, than 10? Yeah, probably. Like, but, but they're not direct competitors because there are many companies Many of our products, we are the only manufacturer and like the only sole supplier. And another reason is we are trying to be one-stop shop worldwide where somebody can go on our website, don't need to call anybody, don't need to talk to anybody, find the product you need, check out online, and the product will be in, in the mail and you can have it in Europe in three days or anywhere in the world, basically. It seems hard to fathom that you can do that, right, with such a high-technology product. Are there uh, specific um, shipping constraints that you have, things that you have to deal with? There is lots of, our biggest issue is customs, because especially oh. in some countries like China or Brazil, right. the product might be sitting in customs forever, and uh, our customers are calling us and like, where's my package and it's sitting in customs and there's nothing we can do about it. How do you describe, are, are, so I'm, okay, that, that's opened up a whole nother thing. Uh, first thing I thought about was industrial espionage. Mm -hmm. Do you have to protect yourself uh, from that, from people stealing your ideas? Uh, as far as technology? Yeah. Yes, of course, we are very, uh, we don't file patents uh, because patents are very you have difficult. To disclose. It's very difficult to enforce. Right. Right. So basically, you're disclosing technology. Why? Exactly. Right? right. So we don't file patents. We everything we try to keep trade secret. We discourage visitors from our facility. Which you did earlier. So if somebody, um, because we know if a right person comes, um, like ev everything is obvious to those skilled in the art once they actually see it, but until they see it, they have no idea how it's made. Right. So we're very careful to make sure some nobody just takes a peek and looks at it what our facility looks like or what we're doing there. Oh, got it. So we're very careful who, like, so if a customer supplier wants to come visit us, we'll say, okay, great, come visit us, but all you're going to see is our conference room. Right. So, so if you want to come talk to you us. You want to show them all the way to Galita, which is a nice, nice place to come visit, but you're not going to see any, you're going to nothing. Right. And some people, um, some countries, uh, some companies, they like, they just want to come to talk to us and that's fine. So we'll show them the conference room. <laughs> 
but um, we'll have a discussion with them and we might go out to dinner, but we're not going to take them on a tour. Is there, can I find a photo of microspheres? I'm going to guess, but I've not been to the website. Can I find photos on the website? Because I'd like to put some with the article so yeah, people there's can. There's lots of photos of microspheres. They basically look like just spheres. A little sphere. <laughs> lots of spheres. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Are they solid? Solid, yeah. Do you ever have to have them, um, I mean, I can't imagine that would be empty. They would always have to be solid, I would think. Uh, some, we have some hollow, we have some hollow glass. So they're not always solid, but they're, what I meant by it is like they're, um, when we, it's, they're not capsules. They're not, uh, because some companies do micro-encapsulation. That's okay. not what we do. So there's no liquid inside. Got it. Got it. It's interesting. Now, so what's it, what's the future look like for you? I mean, you've been doing this nine years, so you made it through the first. I mean, it's it's tough getting going, but now you've got the supply chain figured out. Um, you're not because you're an original manufacturer. You just need the raw materials, so that's doesn't sound like that's a problem for you. So you can manufacture these to to meet the market demand. What, what does the next five years look like? Um, well, we're always, um, we grow organically, which means we grow based on customer demand. So, uh, and the customers are always pushing us to, uh, to develop something more precise, smaller, tighter. Uh, Is that what they want? They want s smaller, yes, tighter, so, what else? So, so basically, more precise density, more precise size, uh, sizes, different materials, different coatings, different colors, uh, different properties, um, and uh, more highly characterized. So they want to know all the properties of the material exactly. And it's, some of these are extremely difficult to measure on the microsphere, like refractive index and the electric constant. So uh, our goal is to have the largest selection of product, the highest quality of products, precision, by quality I mean precision of products anywhere else in the world, and the most highly characterized sphere. So some scientists buys the sphere, they know everything about that particle. So they can use it in their models and their research. Right. Right, exactly. So, so we're solving some big, people are solving some important problems using these okay. spheres. And it comes from Santa Barbara. Exactly. I love, I love that. There's, uh, what's interesting about the show is that we get to talk to people mm -hmm. around the world. I mean, talk to them, but talk, focus on things that are uniquely done in Santa Barbara. But you didn't go to UCSB. No. Right? So most of the tech that's here is some outgrowth from UCSB. So I'm going to, I'm going to, let's see if we can connect a dot here because mm -hmm. I know that uh, UCSB School of Engineering is famous for their uh, material science um, people. Have you been able to pull employees from that? Um, I don't know the, uh, why, but the answer is no. Really? That's interesting. So you've had to import people. Yes. Yeah, because it's not. This is a pretty highly skilled mm -hmm. type of thing you have to do, right? Right. And then, does does Santa Barbara itself contribute anything to your ability to be able to do it here? Or you, I mean, you, 
I'm guessing you could do it anywhere, but we could you want to live here. We could do it anywhere in the world. We do use UCSB material science lab for like scanning electron microscopy and things like that. Oh, so you can go and you can rent that? Yeah, you can basically pay per hour to use the lab. Oh, nice. And they've got some great technology over yes, there, they don't they? Yes, they have multi-million dollar pieces of equipment that we don't want to buy. We would rather pay per hour. Sure, sure, exactly. Let, let me um, back over to... Um, Clinical psychology has nothing to do with microspheres. How long, when did you get your MA uh, at Antioch? Um, I actually just finished a year ago. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And, and why, why that? Okay, so Have you always been interested in it? Yes, so it's my second career and this is my passion. So engineering, I went into engineering for the money Basically, to be absolutely honest, I got full um, scholarship for being a woman in science and engineering when I went to school for engineering. And I was an immigrant, basically, of the boat um, when I went to college. So full scholarship, sure, I'll go in, into engineering. Right. And um, engineering pays well, so I was able to make really good money for many years. Right. I was able to start this company, which pays my bills, allows me to live comfortably in Santa Barbara. Right, with three kids. With three right? kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so I guess maybe it was my midlife crisis, but I decided <laughs> that I can now uh, go back to school and pursue something I'm really interested in because I don't want to be, it's not about money anymore, it's about a passion and a calling and what I'm really interested in and what I want to spend um, the rest of my life doing. So, it, it, so listener, to pay attention here that, you know, you, you had that thing that got you to the point where you could afford to go do the thing you wanted to do. When did you, how young were you when you developed this interest in psychology? Um, Always, ever since I remember. However, when I was making a choice to go to school when I was 18 and picking a major, I wanted to make an impact on the world, but I also had to make a living. And yeah, so sure. that the making a living part took priority. And um, everybody said is that you can't make money in psychology, especially with a bachelor's degree. You need at least a PhD. And I was not prepared for that when I was 18. I needed to, I actually graduated from college in three years. Even though I had full scholarship for four, I graduated in three years and I was a, a bachelor's in chemical engineering. So I can go start making money as quickly as possible. So waiting until I get my PhD in psychology just was not Because like, that's eight years, right? Yeah. And then what kind of job you're going to get as opposed to engineering? So are you expecting to put this degree to use as a career, or is it going to be research and study and writing? It's, uh, I have lots of plans and big dreams. <laughs> but great. Because I am a business person. I'm an entrepreneur. I think of myself as an impact entrepreneur. I want to make an impact on the world, and how I do it, it's almost secondary. And... I feel like I am making an impact on the world with microspheres by enabling all this research and all these breakthroughs in many different fields. But I really feel that um, the field of mental health uh, is extremely underfunded and understaffed, and it really needs a lot of help right now. And so I feel like my next venture 
will be some sort of business in mental health and maybe early childhood education. Mm. Tar uh, so basically mental health targeted for children. And so I wanna start some sort of business in Santa Barbara that serves that need. So that's why I want to get my master's uh, so I better understand uh, the field and all the challenges. That's a pretty big dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like. I mean, I, I like that idea. I, you know, I'm a, a, a Ted, Ted guy, a Tedster, and so we we always look at you know that one idea that we put on the red circle is that going to go out there and make it. So we're all about making impact. I mean, mm -hmm. it's when you said that, it's like I totally get that. Mm -hmm. That you know, is there an idea that comes on that stage that goes out and changes the world and so in, in that regard what what having just gotten your degree in the last year and starting to think about things working with kids is it because you can affect kids younger and make a difference in their life yes so I'm an engineer remember so I'm always <laughs> trying to optimize the process and uh, I see that uh, how adults are struggling with substance abuse and anxiety and depression and all kinds of disorders. They all start in childhood, sometimes even prenatal. So, uh, so we can try to uh, help adults or we can try to help children, maybe pre more a preventative mode. Right. Preventative maintenance. Of course, right? of course, okay. sure, sure. So yes, I do feel we can make the most impact if we target kids, really, really young kids, before those problems develop, um, because it's much more difficult to help an adult than to help a child. Or, or I would, I was just imagining. I mean, I was just reading National Geographic <clears throat> two weeks ago was on on addiction and an extensive thing on addiction and and how that works and a lot of the brain science that's going on yes. with addiction and and all of that work. And then there was, I mean, there was some really great graphics on how the brain works and how dopamines work and how all how that whole system works. Is there a role for microspheres in that research? I don't know. I never connected that, but that's a really interesting question. But going back to the addiction and the brain, um, uh, is, I, I found fascinating that there is research now that shows that addiction is actually formed, f created by attachment trauma in early childhood. Because it's all about, it's that um, feel-good chemical right. that usually sure. our brain releases uh, when our mother is holding us in her arms, yes. right? Yes. And for some people, that doesn't get released because the mother maybe was not physically present or emotionally present. So they seek that elsewhere. They seek that chemical from drugs or compulsive uh, whatever shopping whatever or it is sex gonna, addiction something or or twitter <laughs> but it's all tar it's all starts with the trauma in very early childhood so that's why i feel like we need and some parents are not even aware of that of course not i was not aware of that until i went to school and started studying right. this so so that's why when I had my two-year-old, I actually took six months off doing absolutely nothing. But hugging. But hugging. <laughs> because I was aware of this. Right. Yeah, and that, that, that's, it's really interesting that you say that. And it's, it's interesting that if you could figure out that one, you could really make an impact on the world. 
Elena, thank you so much for coming in uh, to talk to us. One of the things, you've listened to the show, so you know at the end of the show I try to figure out what kind of title we could put on Aww. this. Do you have a, is there a tagline for microspheres? Is there, you know, is there something about that, some marketing slogan that you use with them? Um, I don't know, this is really tough. Um, it's always tough, that's okay. I, I would say the theme is just uh, making an impact on the world um, through breakthroughs and by enabling. Ah, great, there we go, that's, it's, that's enabling breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that, um, you know, your customers are the ones who are, you know, really, they're making a huge difference in the fact that they have these products that are so precise and so perfect um, for exactly what they need. The fact that they can say, oh my gosh, if I could just have a particle that did this, mm -hmm. and you say, well, you can. Well, so, not you always, but we try. Pretty much mostly, I'm going to guess, mm -hmm. right? There hasn't been, uh, I, I'm going to say that you don't say no a lot, mm -hmm. that you just say not yet. Uh, we or, have to think about that. Or we usually say, but we could maybe make it, but it will cost this amount of money <laughs> in the research because it requires a lot of research. Of course, of course. Elena, thanks for uh, yeah. joining us at 805 Conversations. Thank you for having me. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host. For 805 Conversations.